I have to wash my hair. You know how to rev my engine? That would go horribly wrong. Up with people, and I'm a new woman, and blah, blah, blah. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that wouldn't mind a mirror or two in the personal facilities. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. Just because we were close once doesn't give you the right to interfere in my affairs. Oh, uh, how come you get to do a fun accent on yours? I don't know. That's always how we do it. Aw. Well, I could have done one on mine, but I was like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I know, because you never do. Hmm. Well, look, at our next meeting... Isn't this our next meeting? <laughs> we don't uh, ever talk. <laughs> except for this podcast. True enough. Well, we'll work it out. I'm just kidding. Because sometimes we have to plan things for the podcast. <laughs> and then, of course, we talk. Right. Uh, welcome back, cousins. Yes. We are here to do uh, series two, episode five of Mr. Selfridge that's, and Friends. That's right. Uh, but first, we have our cousin of the week. This week, Mrs. Reed writes, Dearest Cousins Kelly and Tom, I became a devoted listener to your podcast during Series 4 of Downton after learning about it on the Downton Abbey subreddit. Thanks for giving me something to look forward to while commuting to work during the most god-awful winter I've experienced in many a year. I am watching Mr. Selfridge on your recommendation and have been enjoying it immensely, especially in Series 2 now that Jeremy Piven has dialed it back a notch and the shop girls have ditched the dour Victorian dresses and awful baggy hairdos. Also, Mr. LeClaire. <laughs> Meanwhile, I have also been working my way through your older podcasts and queuing up the movies and shows that I have not seen. Here is some podcast-related trivia. In Ray, the term Gugums on Parade's End... You were quite rightly grossed out by Seabatch and Wanup's use of the pet name Gugums, but I wanted to share that they are, in fact, being Edwardian hipsters. The term was coined by Dante Gabriel Rossetti, the pre-Raphaelite poet and painter for his muse, Lizzie Siddle. In the show, Seabatch's friend, the critic, I think his name is McMaster, anyway, he played Al Capone on Boardwalk Empire, is seen reading a book of Rossetti's poetry, and his lady friend calls him Gugums. So I guess he started that trend. Incidentally, Rossetti was kind of an OG hipster himself, setting off trends in medieval-themed paintings as well as wombat appreciation. (laughs) Here is a self-portrait of Rossetti mourning one of his dead pet wombats. (laughs) Off topic, I know, but it is adorable and one of my favorite things ever, so I thought I'd share. Yeah. In Ray, Julian Fellow's Titanic, your recap is much more enjoyable than the show, (laughs) from what little I remember of it. I think I fell asleep fairly soon after the weird Aesop's Fables scene back when it aired. But I was pleased to hear that Harry Widener appeared in it. He is our local Titanic celebrity here in Boston and doesn't get much of a shout-out in fictional treatments of the story. Harry was a Harvard grad, and his mother memorialized him by building a massive library on campus in his name. I work at Harvard and recently had the opportunity to check the place out. It is huge and super swanky and includes a nice display of Mrs. Widener's Titanic clippings and photos of Harry as a college theater nerd, as well as his personal rare book collection. There is an urban legend that Mrs. Widener stipulated in her gift that all Harvard students would henceforth have to take a swimming test in order to graduate, but that is not true. <laughs> One last thing. Several times during the Mr. Selfridge podcasts, you guys have done a the march to war bit. What is the second part of that? Sounds like eat snossages, but I suspect <laughs> it probably is not. 
Anyway, thanks again for keeping me entertained and informed. I'm currently working on some historical fiction of my own and have found your plot deconstructions very helpful. I promise to strive to keep my work free of narrative economy and the dreaded old-timey people didn't (laughs) know stuff. Cheers, your Boston cousin, Mrs. Reed. Uh, thank you very much, cousin Mrs. Reed, mm-hmm. for writing in. Uh, we're glad you're enjoying the back catalog. Uh, one correction for you. Seabatch and Wanup never used the term Googums. That was strictly right. a McMaster and Mrs. Douchman, uh, which practice. Perfect sense based on what you've just informed us. So that, yeah, that which all is adds up. really delightful. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Yes, Kelly just showed me the self-portrait with the wombat. And it's pretty fantastic. It, it is. Uh, and then uh, to your question, what do we say after we say, the march of all? We say, eat snacky s'mores. Yes. Uh, this is a reference to the South Park movie Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Correct. Uh, in which... The United States goes to war with Canada over an issue of censorship and uh, the, you know, uh, wartime newsreels, which they have, <laughs> right. apparently. All of a sudden there's newsreels. Uh, anyway, but those are sponsored by Snacky S'mores. Yes. And so that is what we are saying when we say that. Oh, right. So uh, speaking of <laughs> the march of all... <laughs> Well, if I say the March of War, you have to say eat snacky s'mores. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's like the, you know, it's like Roger Rabbit and shaving a haircut. <laughs> you can't just not say two bits. Eat snacky s'mores. It was less effective that time. Yeah, but <laughs> that's not what we're here for. Well, you know what? Snacky s'mores aren't paying me. Yet. Well, I guess they're probably not likely to now with that uninspiring performance. Yeah, that's true. Also, they're a fictional brand. <laughs> Could also be crucial. <laughs> Uh, anyway, when we pick things back up with the crew. Right. At breakfast, Miss Martle is giving Agnes a letter from George. Uh, it's a pretty standard thing. He talks about the food, you know, not to be a patch on her home cooking. Ha ha ha. I like to think that they blacked out the ha 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 part. <laughs> uh, but they blacked out something. Yeah, they blacked out something. Uh, and people are always shocked by this. Mm-hmm. In war movies, I mean, it doesn't matter what era right. the war is, like whether it's the Civil War or this war or World War Two or like Vietnam. Right. They're always shocked. They're always, always shocked. And it's like, when are they going to learn that loose lips sink ships? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, also, like, you know, uh, this has been going on for generations. Did you think it's like, did you think that your relative was so stupid and unimportant? That they couldn't possibly have any information that they, that could be passed to the enemy? That was a reasonable hypothesis. Well, in this case. <laughs> yeah. But still, you know, the army has to be very careful. Yeah, they do. Well, you know, they always are very careful, whether they have to be or not. Miss Martle assures Agnes that it's going to be fine, uh, but neither one of them sound particularly convinced. The doorbell rings, and Miss Martle says it's Florian, and that she hopes that she speaks English. It might be a little bit awkward. Uh, so well, just to bring yeah. everybody back up to speed, Florian is the Belgian refugee that Miss Martle is going to house. Right. We're led to assume. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she has failed to know that Florian <laughs> is a boy's name. Yeah. 
It's keep, definitely a boy's name. Key bit of information there. Uh, so Miss Martle opens the door and Florian indeed is a boy to match his boy's name. She's <laughs> right. very stunned and looks to see if anybody saw him come in. Right. Because we are still, you know, in sort of the height of, well. I mean, not the height must, per se. We're, we're but post Edward. Yeah. As like a person. Right. But I mean, still, I mean, look, this is still Wait, not are we? Was done. he dead? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was George the whatever at this point. We're, like, really good (laughs) at knowing when kings died. So look out, royal baby. (laughs) We've got your number. We We don't. don't. Yeah. (laughs) Like, we could get arrested under the Defense of the Realm Act for saying that. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) I did learn from a tabloid today that he weighs 24 pounds. Oh, way to go, baby. Right? That's, you know, that's posting up some, like, at least 85th percentile numbers, I think. I would have to think. I have no idea how old that baby is, so he could be severely underweight. Or overweight. I don't know. According to tradition, he hasn't been fed for the first year of his life. (laughs) It's a very strange tradition, but needs must. So at Selfridge House, they are discussing the... The Defense of the Realm Act, which, among other things, apparently requires them to uh, turn all the lights out at night. In particular, all the lights at Selfridges, which is uh, the first time the lights will have been out in the five years since they opened. So the Defense of the Realm Act is basically the Edwardian Patriot Act. Pretty much. They they passed it at the beginning of World War One, and the, the Don't t- they pass one of these in every war, though? Uh, you know, to greater or lesser degrees. I mean, this one was completely, I mean, this one, it basically had two articles. It was like article one, the army can do whatever the hell they want to anyone. Article two, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I need to write more laws. (laughs) That sounds great. Yeah. No, it was, it was unusually broad. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, you know, a lot of, pacifists I mean, gotten the the government trouble. really wanted this war yeah they had a such a terrific boner for it they really did they were not kidding with this one until they <laughs> wished they had been yeah uh in the meantime fraser summons leclerc who is as we'll recall staying with the selfridges like bad move amber right don't stay with somebody else's family if you can avoid it agreed like get your own apartment yeah Go back to Hobo Towers. It was fun. (laughs) Do you think that stick-poking kid is just, like, bummed out? He's withering away. (laughs) He just stands at the window, poking at at nothing, (laughs) wishing somebody would move in. (laughs) And then the day, the day that somebody moves in, it's, like, right as he's old enough to be drafted. (laughs) And he's drafted. Right, <laughs> poke the new resident. Oh, the tragic ironies of war. <laughs> uh, anyway, Fraser. Yeah, as I say, Fraser summons Leclerc to the phone. Uh, meanwhile, New Gordon he wants to fight. He asks. Well, he asks if Leclerc is going to fight, and Harry says he promised to stay at the store for six months. And New Gordon's like, "Ooh, let me at him. I want to, you know." I want to kill some Germans or whatever. And Rose is like, you can't. Were they calling them Jerry's in this war? Um, or was that more of a World War II? I know it was definitely a World War II thing. but Right. No, I'm trying to remember. I think so. Maybe, maybe it was Fritz. I don't know. It was Fritz. Okay. 
So it was Fritz in this one and Jerry in the Second World War, I guess, so they wouldn't get confused. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't go accidentally killing any World War One era Germans <laughs> during World War Two. <laughs> but, but, sir, he said his name's Jerry. <laughs> Jerry Sizzler. Yes. Anyway, sorry, we keep making references to things. That was to kids in the hall. Yeah. No, no, no. This is our thing. No, we're citing, we're citing our reference. We're trying to help you guys out. Yeah. Uh, anyway, New Gordon sulks out and Harry tells Rose that he is going to move him to a different department. Is it the war department? Because uh, that's clearly the only department he wants to work in. It's not. So probably disappointing. Uh, but he helped because then he'll won't be thinking of all his mates down at the loading bay. I is doubt the idea. it. Probably. Well, I mean, what? That he can't go to war. There's not much options that they have here. True. Anyway, he also asks Rose out to dinner the following night. Uh, probably because she really upped her hair game this episode. I think that's very plausible. Yeah, her hair looks way better. Yeah. Although he's been after her ever since her hair looked all bedraggled. So. <laughs> well, that's true. He's he's in it to win it. Out in the hall, New Gordon walks past uh, Monsieur Leclerc, who is very angry on the phone until he sees Gordon. Stops. And really, Gordon's just past the camera. Right. He's not out of earshot. Yeah, well. I mean, I've yelled on the phone a couple times. Yeah. And <laughs> it carries. It does. Anyway, um, Monsieur Leclerc is very upset. He says he's given this person his money, and now he expects results. Yeah. My theory, he's on the phone with Comcast. <laughs> No, my theory is that he's on the phone with 24-Hour Fitness. Wait, wait, no, no, wait. Actually, that would imply that somebody at some point ever got on the phone with the him. Phone. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, that's the downside. Well, it was, you know, back then, they didn't have voicemail, so they just had to put idiots on the other end. <laughs> wait, is this George Talley? <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> The army's got me doing this lot. Didn't you get my letter? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Martel shows Florian into the breakfast room while mouthing to Agnes, it's a man, which (laughs) like... I mean, Agnes can be a little slow. I mean, a little slow, but she's generally... Yeah, you know, she can tell the difference between boys and girls. (laughs) Yeah. She's got that one nailed down. I mean, clearly, uh, a Belgian name is so very foreign. <laughs> right. Like, maybe this is how the Belgian girls... Why do, I don't know why I went with the French accent with that. I don't either. You're all about it. Well, I was thinking about Belgians. You just want to appear more attractive to me. Well, you know, I'll try. <laughs> um, yeah, like, maybe this is just how Belgian girls look. Wearing pants. <laughs> and strong jawlines. Um... Apparently, Florian was a violinist and was in Paris when the war started, uh, but he said he lost his violin because they had to disband very suddenly, which I, and he couldn't go back to his village. That part makes sense, and he's very sad about that. But it's like, you were in Paris, which the war was not in. Like, why didn't you just kind of hang on to that? Maybe they were, were freaked out. Like, it wasn't a tuba. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that, that was odd. Well, he said me. he couldn't go back to his room. Okay. Look, I don't know why they couldn't do things. Right. Hard to say. I wasn't there. <laughs> you weren't. But so he just has a very few belongings. So he apologizes that he does not have a gift for them for their hospitality. And they're, of course, like, uh, you know, you're a refugee. Yeah, we were, we, were, we were to understand that gifts were off the table. <laughs> right. 
Agnes arrives at work as Fat Thomas is leaving mysteriously. He yeah. won't tell her why or where he's going, which is definitely behavior you want to definitely inculcate in the early stages of a relationship so that you can never be held accountable. Right. Anyway, he climbs up on the streetcar mm-hmm. and uh, he asks Agnes how George is doing. She tells him about the letter. And, you know, the blacked out parts. And he's like, oh, you know, better to just think that he sounded chipper. And I'm like, okay, this seems pointless. Uh, Anyway, so then he tells her that he's had a letter from Gabriella. And Agnes, much like the rest of us, (laughs) goes, where is she? And he says that she's gone back to Italy for good. And we all say, Like, this is the ship that will not sink. It's really true. I wish some loose lips would sink that ship. Agreed. Well, he also, he says all this as, like, the streetcar is pulling away, and it's just so weird. Like, he waits to tell her about the letter. He's like, she made me promise not to tell anyone except when I was on a bus that was pulling away. (laughs) (laughs) She's kind of weird. (laughs) Well, I hope Gabriella's life is beautiful, (laughs) wherever she may be. Yeah. Godspeed. You deserve better. Presumably. We didn't really see Yeah, we really have no idea. (laughs) Jesse and Kitty are looking at the newspaper where Mustache now has nearly a full page (gasps) for his writings. Oh, my. Yes. Uh, Kitty says it's because he's been working hard. And Jesse's like, oh, I guess that's why we haven't seen him lately. I thought he had his eye on another girl. Jesse's a bit of a pill. Yeah. Like, where did that come from, Jesse? I think she's got her hair up too high. I mean, I think it's given her ideas. Yeah, it couldn't get much higher. Yeah, he does have his eye on another girl. It's the fourth estate. <laughs> Do Fair they enough. have that in Britain? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if that was an American thing. It's been a while since civics class. So right, right. I mean, really, more of a European thing mm. because the estates, the first estate, is the nobility, and we didn't have that one. Oh, so, so we just borrowed the terms. Yeah, pretty much. Interesting. Well, here the first estate is then the corporations, right? Uh, I guess so. And then they pay for the fourth estate, right? So, so well, I mean, it is fourth. Well, yeah. If yeah. it was so great, maybe it should have been first, right? You know, first is the worst, second is the best, third is the one with the treasure or the hairy chest. Right. Depending. Yeah. Where does that leave the fourth estate then? Depending what sect you belong to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very sneeches on the beaches with stars (laughs) upon the ours kind of situation. I suppose it is. Yeah. So we see Kitty and Jesse walking along with some very awkward looped dialogue there (laughs) that Kitty is clearly not saying about how she'll go visit Mustache. But... Uh, the focus of the scene is Martel and Agnes discussing Florian um, and that he is, you know, a single man with two single wom- women and that just is impossible. Uh, I guess they've never heard of a little sitcom called Three's Company. <laughs> just have him pretend to be gay. His name's already Florian. Yeah, that would go horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Keebler knows all about it. Well, <laughs> that's as may be. Well, Lord Edrington, but that's out of their league. Mm, That's true. Yeah. Uh, So they decide that they will confront him together that night and explain that he is a refugee once again. Harry comes in and tells Martle that uh, New Gordon is being transferred to the Tea Emporium. Ooh. Yes. New Gordon had apparently not been told until this moment where he was going, and he's very upset. He's like, the Tea Emporium, when all my friends are fighting and dying— 
It's like, where did you think you were getting transferred to? Like, Selfridge. The War Department! Selfridge Black Ops? Like. Like, I like Selfridge as much as the next place, but it's all basically the Tea Emporium. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Harry asks Martle to have fake Doris. Uh, released from her department a bit to, like, mentor new Gordon since she apparently used to work at the Tea Emporium. And she's like, yeah, sure. And fake Doris is, like, mortified because she worked really hard to get out of the Tea Emporium. And into accessories. Yeah. She's like, I swore I would never touch tea again. (laughs) And I'm British. (laughs) I do like, though, that none of the staff really seem to see new Gordon as, like, a threat to them. Yeah. Like, there's a little bit of awkwardness here, but fake Doris feels very free to basically talk shit about him in front of his face. <laughs> yeah. And Miss Martle's like, yeah, he can take it. Yeah. I mean, so I think, you know, we don't see a ton of it, but, you know, both New Gordon and Mr. Selfridge have done a good job, like, making sure he's not above anybody else on staff. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Down in the loading bay, Mr. Grove, Selfridge, and Crab observe the women. Of the loading bay. Yes. Uh, Crab is still very cranky and the women are wearing men's clothes over their usual clothes. Just the world is upside down. Right. He does not know what to do. So he's very upset and he goes off. And he, then yeah. uh, Mr. Grove tells Mr. Selfridge that Mr. Crab is worried uh, because he's got a rather important birthday coming up the next day and he's afraid that mr selfridge will forget his birthday and then he'll be pushed out because he's too old uh he's also very upset that he can't serve his country right so maybe mr selfridge could you know razzle dazzle him up something for him to do to make him feel useful cut to harry razzle dazzling something up uh harry enters crab's office and says that he feels that they need something to do for uh, all the people who are finding it very hard to be left behind some sort of training scheme something practical crab lights up and suggests rifle training uh learning how to shoot a gun he knows of a good range and is just immediately like super fired up about it he's clearly had this going for a while in his mind yeah yeah and he's like i'll start investigating right away and he's he's raring to go I also love Mr. Crab. Oh, he yeah. He is so adorable. I can kind of not stand it. <laughs> yeah. Up in the uh, Monsieur Leclerc Memorial Lair, Keebler is arguing with Monsieur Leclerc and says that his displays are offering glamour. Right. And Mr. Leclerc is saying that what he does is fashion, and when that means he has to keep up with the fashions. And women are signing up for the Red Cross and learning to drive. And, like, weren't they learning to drive five years ago as well? But anyway, uh, uh, so in greater numbers, women are expressing their independence, and he does I, not feel that Keebler is is being cognizant of that fact he's trying to act like they're not at war basically i mean i think they're learning to drive more so now i mean this is when edith is learning to. that's a good point actually yeah monsieur leclerc says that keebler has to keep in mind the woman in the changing times and you know name checks the war which keebler then foolishly takes as open season right to talk about why isn't monsieur leclerc fighting for his country uh causing monsieur leclerc who's quite a bit Taller and more solidly built than Keebler. Yes. To say that As you he... might guess from Keebler's name. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you know, Monsieur Leclerc's not a 
big bruiser of a guy. Right, right. But in this fight, I mean, yeah. you know, we've never described Monsieur Leclerc as elfin. <laughs> anyway, so he draws himself up to his full height and is basically like, uh, if you ever question my patriotism or my integrity again, we will exchange more than words. And then just like throws down a pencil. Yeah. And it's very, very, very dramatic. Yes. It's it's a little bit uh, unsettling, I have to say, as one of the greatest fans of Monsieur Leclerc. Yeah. I assume. <laughs> I know he's got a lot of fans, well, but right. I mean, I think I'm the only one with a podcast. <laughs> so you do the math. Anyway, so Monsieur Leclerc leaves as Agnes enters and is like, what? 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 <laughs> Sort of, you know, Agnes. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Keebler suddenly looking very concerned that his magical bow tie will not protect him forever. <laughs> Harry is meeting in his office with some randos that we don't know uh, when Plunkett comes in and announces Delphine. Uh, so the randos head out and Delphine says that she has heard that there could be a vacancy coming up on the military procurement committee. And would Harry like to, you know, get in on that? Uh, so what she's decided is that she has invited a bunch of people to a card game. And Harry can come there too, and he can kind of, you know, buddy-buddy and make friends with the military procurement people and uh, make something happen. She has already set it up for tomorrow night and already invited the other people. So uh, that's pretty much it for date night. Oh, also, if it's not too much trouble, I'd like to drive an intractable wedge between you and your wife. Is it all right? Is apparently what's going on appear- here. Yeah. Well, because then after she leaves, no. Oh, there's another thing. There. Yeah. Well, okay. Look, a thing yeah. happens after <laughs> she leaves. But what is it? Well, first. <laughs> oh my god. Oh man. All right. So Mr. Grove is talking with uh, Miss Ellis, right? Who's one of the loading bay girls? Yeah. Her accent. It's. It's like Agnes doing an impression of Agnes. Yeah, like, like a mean impression. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Agnes got so drunk, she decided to make fun of herself. Uh, this is what it sounds like. Ridiculous. Anyway, she says, uh, you know, we can't bend over when the skirt's long like this, then we pulled in here, and we stuffed our bed. And she's literally grabbing her tits. Yeah. Mr. Grove has the vapors. <laughs> right. He cannot handle her uh you know gritty realness right it's like which, listen i know i've been married twice and had a years-long extramarital affair but this is just shocking right yeah I'm like did you uh, like what would it help you if she was lying in a creepy bath while she gave you this demonstration well yes i think it rather would <laughs> anyway uh he like he's like looking outside and i'm like you know you're allowed to talk to your female employees right you're you're head of staff you anyway so yeah. he ushers her out and she runs off to uh play a role in a community theater production of Oliver somewhere. Uh, thusly, we have named her the Artful Porter. Yes. Because, man, she sounds like the Artful Dodger. She does. It's fun. Consider yourself a lady dog walker. I don't know. What do you want from me, man? I, I, well, I thought you would go somewhere with that. So That's back to what the- Oliver said to Fagin's gang. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yay! 
you got a puck a package or two? <laughs> I don't know why I said puck. <laughs> well, puck. <laughs> that's that's just the accent. That's how she talks. We swear. Yeah. So back to the mysterious Rose situation. You've seen the episode. <laughs> Not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so as Delphine is leaving, Rose is arriving at Selfridges and is like, oh, hey, Delphine, my old friend. Uh, and is like, hey, you want to come in and have lunch? And Delphine is like, oh, no, sorry. I uh, I have to wash my hair. <laughs> <laughs> no, and she just is like, yeah, boom, I, I, I got to go. And so upstairs... Rose tells Harry that she had run into Delphine, and Harry's like, oh, yeah, she was here to see me about this whole military procurement thing. And Rose is like, wow, that's odd. I haven't talked to her in a long time, and this is the sort of thing she wouldn't usually have told me about. Yeah. And we all think it's odd, too, and that's kind of it's it. It's very sad, though, because Rose is like, I thought she was my friend. No, I know. And it's like, what are you going to learn that your husband is a black hole? Like, any friend or opportunity that you have is going to naturally gravitate toward him. Well, sure, but I see no reason whatsoever. Except for Ronnie Temple. (laughs) He was strangely impervious to this effect. He was impervious to everything. He really... (laughs) Old Ronnie Teflon Templeton. (laughs) But, like, why couldn't she still be friends with Rose, though? Like, there's... I don't There's something weird going on with Delphine. No. I think. Maybe she was upset about... Well, didn't they get mad at each other about the Monsieur Leclerc thing? I guess so. Or was that... No. Because they did that whole fundraiser after that. Right, they did that that. whole fundraiser. I'm having a very hard time keeping when all of the various conflicts happened and were resolved. Yeah. Well, we've been off for a couple weeks, too. That's true. So it's a little bit hard. But anyway, we're not really sure what's going on here. (laughs) Right. The podcast that isn't really sure what's going on here. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Out in the hall, uh, Mr. Grove is coming to whisper to Harry about the women's clothes causing issues. <laughs> uh, he also, you know, casts a glance over to old Plunkett as if Plunkett isn't A, deaf as a stone, and B, also a woman. Right. So anyway, he's, he's trying to, like, say anything. It's, it's come to my attention that, that women have breasts. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, yeah, doy. Yeah. Anyway, Rose, uh, having seen this particular flavor of male idiocy in the past, <laughs> offers her help. So we smash cut to the loading bay where Rose, uh, who's really dialing it up on the American accent. She's yeah. seeming very up with people. And I'm a new woman and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because she, she said the way she says figured. Yeah. So she's talking to the women and she says, up oh, as soon as Mr. Grove said something, I knew corsets would be an issue. I'm like, when have corsets ever not been an issue? Right. The fact that any of you can walk is amazing. <laughs> uh, so she, she basically suggests a whole new wardrobe for them. Lighter overalls with a belt, no corsets and shorter skirts. And she's just, you know, playing willy nilly with these ladies hiking their skirts up. Yeah. Mr. Grove, again, dangerously close to fainting. <laughs> right. And again, you have four children, man. <laughs> or three and a half. Yeah. I don't know how cooked the last one is. You've but got God knows how many children. Yeah, you've got a lot of kids. Like, he might have another one by now, the way right? things are going. How do you, how do you think that happens? <laughs> it's by looking at women's legs. Everybody knows that. <laughs> anyway, uh, Rose asks the ladies if there's anything she can do for them otherwise. And uh, the artful porter 
she she rallies up her gumption and says, oh, well, we'd also like a mirror or two in the personal facilities because men don't want a mirror? That I'll, strikes me as odd. I also find it slightly odd. Anyway, Rose says she'll take care of it and she just smirks at Mr. Grove and heads out. So yeah. at least she had a good day. You know, <laughs> yeah. she, did, she did something. No, yeah, she she absolutely handled that situation. She justified her seat. Yeah. <laughs> at Loxley House... Lord and Lady Loxley are sitting at the breakfast table of marital discord. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Pimble comes in and tells Lady May that the butcher is at the door demanding that his bill be paid. And Lord Loxley is like, so pay him! And gets up and goes to a drawer, which he unlocks and pulls a whole bunch of money out of and hands it to Pimble. You know, he could have avoided this whole scene if he just gave Pimble some money. Well... And was like, here, use this to pay people. <laughs> like, she's too afraid of him to steal anything. Yeah, God knows. So May asks where the money came from, and Lord Loxley predictably says that is no concern of hers. Uh, he then says that Lady May needs to start doing some more charity work, that they're in commerce now, and they need to be seen out and about as a good husband and wife, you know, team. And... That she should go down to Selfridges and get herself a new wardrobe and jewelry. Yeah, this is a sham marriage, so get shamming. <laughs> That's right. We then see Keebler greeting Lady May at Selfridges, and she is back in her element, people. Mm-hmm. This is the Lady May that we know and love. And she tells Keebler that she's thinking of getting an entirely new autumn wardrobe and asks him to dazzle her. Yes. We then see Mustache's office, uh, where Kitty has arrived. Uh, Mustache is in there. He's actually not that great of a typist. He's a bit of a hunting packer there. Well, you know, he's old or whatever. <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm not a very good typist myself. Yeah, he's like peering at it. Like, Where's the ship key? <laughs> um, so, he- so that's why this hasn't moved forward. <laughs> Uh, so he is surprised to see Kitty. He offers her a seat, and they make some small talk about... She, she asks him if he's had any scoops lately. <laughs> and just in the tone of voice, it's like, I just looked that up <laughs> in a bookshop <laughs> on my way here. <laughs> I asked someone in the lobby what a newspaper term was. <laughs> and they said scoop. <laughs> She's really adorable in this she, scene. She is. So they make a little small talk about censorship and the defense of the Realm Act and some wife that turned her husband in for being named Wilhelm. <laughs> um, That's like how I turn you in for being named Ezekiel in your second name. <laughs> in our war against the biblical prophets. Yeah, man. That war has been raging for millennia. We're going to win it, too. I don't care how many wheels Ezekiel sees. Uh, the answer is a fair number. <laughs> What about Dem Bones? Uh, also a bunch of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> other than that, I got no idea. Well, listen, we hope you've enjoyed this <laughs> update on our war against the biblical prophets. Uh, so Mustache finally gets the hint and asks Kitty out. Uh, and she, you know, kind of, you know, makes him ask for it a little bit, like, you know, resist a little bit, just uh, just to keep the upper hand a little bit. Uh, but then she says that she has missed him and kisses him and heads out. Yeah, like, kisses him on the mouth kisses yeah, him. Yeah, Because he kisses her hand. Right, And right. then she's like, F this noise. Yeah. It's, oh, no, but I mean, she's oh, oh, she's yeah. been very calculated, and I just, I... That, oh, yeah. That Kitty Hawkins, she knows how to dangle a man. She does. It's great. I will say that I'm a bit confused that 
in that what appears to have happened is that Mustache just literally forgot he was dating her. Like, because it's not like there's some... There's no indication that he was seeing some other girl. I don't think that was the case or, or anything else. Like, yeah. he just, just didn't ask her out for a while. Yeah, it's kind of baffling. Yeah. But hey, it's it's working now. So. Yeah, they're making out. We're pretty happy with this. So. Agreed. Yes. Back at Selfridges, models are strutting past Lady May's disinterested gaze. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole private area where she can look at these people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's weird. She, well, uh, she's got champagne. Oh, yeah. This, I'm like, I want to shop there. Right. I couldn't afford it. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, Keebler is trying to pitch her on these looks, which A, are terrible. Yeah. And uh, B, offends her particularly because he says something like, oh, you know, you wouldn't want to be seen as an ornament on Lord Loxley's arm. And she gets angry at him for saying that. Right. And leaves because she says she's on her way to other better departments right she says she's seen all this before and monsieur leclerc uh sees the whole thing yeah and is displeased yeah well rightly so uh so leclerc comes into the lair which he shares with agnes and sulks and lights a cigarette agnes asks what the matter is and he snaps at her and is like and that's where he says you know just because we were close once doesn't give you the right to interfere in my affairs. Which she hadn't done. All she did was right. ask what was the matter, and then he was like, he wants, he just wants people to do their jobs properly. And she's trying to like lighten the mood, and be like, oh, I hope you're not including me in that. Except also, seriously, are you like, why are you so mad? And yeah. then he just like loses his mind. Yeah. So we're not pleased with this. No. This is not the Monsieur Leclerc we know and love. Agreed. Fat Thomas then catches up with Agnes on the stairs uh, near the bust of Mr. Selfridge. <laughs> That's right. Uh, fun fact. If you walk past that bust of Mr. Selfridge, you can hear it late at night whispering, nailing it. <laughs> anyway, uh, he's got some good news, which is apparently what he was mysteriously hanging off the back of that trolley yammering about. Right. Which is that Uncle Joe <laughs> has left him the restaurant. And he'll come by Miss Martles tonight to tell her all about it. Right. So I guess that's back on. I guess so. Is he going to rename it? Is it going to be called Fat Thomas's now? I hope so. <laughs> I'll have to make it fat. What's the... Is there an Italian... Tommaso. Okay. Fat Tommaso's. Yeah. I would go there. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, that guy's fat. He knows what's up. That's right. <laughs> It's like if Dom DeLuise had a restaurant, which he might have. <laughs> no, that's very possible. No, but I think I always used to get Mario Batali and Dom DeLuise confused. Well, okay. That's... Except that Mario Batali looks more like Tiger from An American Tale <laughs> than he does Dom DeLuise. Anyway, rest in peace, Dom DeLuise. Right. We can all agree on that. <laughs> right. So Crab comes up to New Gordon, who's in the Tea Emporium. And uh, signs him up for rifle practice. He is excited. It's like, at least I get to hold a gun, uh, he says to fake Doris, who then sees Igor and Jesse having, a t- you know, fun. Well, they're making fun. They're like making kissy faces about her and Gordon. Is that what they're doing? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. That's what I was trying to tell you before. Okay. I thought They've they been were... in there for like a half an hour. Right. That's not enough time to make kissy faces at them. Secondly, Jesse and Igor are the ones making kissy faces to each other in real life. Well, right. And th- well, I mean, and that's what I thought. I just thought they were just, you know, laughing about something no. that fake Doris was cut out of. I don't know. I don't know. 
but I have no idea. Yeah. But I mean, anyway, so they seem to be implying that she's trying to hook up with Gordon Selfridge, which uh, wouldn't that be smart? <laughs> wouldn't that be a lot smarter than just trying to stick around in accessories? Yeah, that's true. She could be the what? next Mrs. Selfridge. Guess what? New Gordon isn't staying in the Tea Emporium all that long. Oh, he sure is not. Yeah. He's not staying much of anywhere long. Yeah. But fake Doris just seems to be continuing the Doris classic tradition of just kind of being bummed sometimes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Rose is sitting with the artful porter in George's old office. And uh, Crab then comes in to tell her that New Gordon has signed up for rifle practice. And then she asks to sign up, too. And she just goes out into the loading bay and is like, hey, girls, who wants to learn to fire a gun? <laughs> Mr. Crab is mobbed. <laughs> right. Mobbed by ladies. And he is baffled. Yes. Uh, you know, note to everyone, women have always been super violent. <laughs> We're just not often given the opportunity. Well, it's true. Well, plus, now that they're all fired up because they can breathe. Yeah. God only knows what they're capable of. <laughs> Look out. A Grove gets on the elevator, uh, which Martel is already on, carrying a violin case. He's like, oh, what's that about? And she says that it is a gift. And Grove says, oh, that's a nice gift. I wouldn't mind a gift like that. Awkward silence. And, like, is that elevator never not awkward i don't think so right it's- i think you have to start having an awkward conversation or it won't run <laughs> you know the girl will be like second floor accessories do you have a former girlfriend you could invite on <laughs> <laughs> it won't go <laughs> uh anyway also mr grove you don't get a gift right like when- what she owes you like negative you should be giving her <laughs> gifts right like give her one of those babies you don't want one surely one of them you don't like i'm not sure she would want a baby well not necessarily you know, she may have 20 years ago but right now i think she's she's done yeah harry sees lady may on the shop floor and uh asks her to invite lord loxley to his card game at delphine's the next night no. uh, she is surprised but says she'll see what she can do and then he just you know perfunctorily says oh i trust you're finding everything to your satisfaction you know just right you know they've been doing this a long time so he's yeah. like oh yeah you're fine right and she's like actually uh i was very upset with the fashion department yeah and she straight up tells him that you know you're mr keebler Whatever the hell his real name is. It's completely been supplanted well, she now. Just says Zachary. Yeah, but she just says your man up there. Yeah. She says that he seems to think that a woman is just a bauble to dangle from a man's arm. And I do have some issues with how this plays out. Mm-hmm. Because presumably he was helping her out before she went away. Right. And I have a very hard time feeling like she would throw him under the bus that quickly. Yeah. I mean, we don't have a great indication of how long it's been since Miss Revilius left. Right. But she would have had some kind of relationship with this man. She would have. Well, and I mean... And I'm not saying he's a nice man or a cool man or a good man or even good at selling things. Or a mighty fine man. No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He's none of these things. Right. He's an elf. (laughs) And... I just I think it's weird that she would be this upset. Well, and I mean you have more experience with this type of relationship than I do. Um but what I would say is A that she's been gone for a while, B been going through some tough times. You That's know. true. The comment about, you know, her being on Lord Loxley's arm 
Right. Probably cut a little deep. Right. And I mean, actually, if you watch that, when he says that her fan stops moving. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> Look out. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I see your point. You, well, and like I said, I just don't know this sort of thing. Yeah. Like you do. I mean, just, you know, in part, yeah, A, it depends on how long their relationship was previous to this. Mm-hmm. But it also depends on how, you know, how their relationship was, whatever it was. Right. She would be willing, I think, to cut him a little bit more slack. Mm-hmm. And not, I mean, it, again, she is having this emotional thing, but it's, that's the thing, though. For her to not recognize that she's projecting, mm. and it, it's weird. It's yeah. it's a strange, you know, sort of ebb and flow between a customer. Because, you know, I had plenty of customers who were difficult, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but, like, who were regular customers, and you just, you know, did your best, and, you know, they'd have an off day sometimes, you'd have an off day. Mm-hmm. Like, but there was a little bit of a... Uh, there's you know there's an understanding there so i'm just surprised that this happened so quickly where she immediately Mm -hmm. is registering her displeasure with mr selfridge Mm -hmm. at martel's house martel tells agnes that she's decided that she will break the news to florian that they're kicking him out by herself since it's her house why did they at no point get the refugees board or whatever involved in this conversation i don't no. Because really, it's their job to make sure that this doesn't happen. Right. I uh, mean, or like, or to, you know, slap some sense into these people and be like, Rip all, woman, damn it! Right. Agreed. This seems just, a, you know, we'll just have to call this one convenient. I yeah. Think. I don't think there's a good reason. Um, so she goes up and uh, goes into Florian's room, and he, of course, immediately sees the violin. And she says... That you can't really hide a violin. Right. She's like, oh, I'm you, so sorry. It's actually a machine gun. Yeah, I was going to say, you can hide a Tommy gun. <laughs> uh, so he, he takes it and, and opens up the case, but he says that he doesn't know if he can play it because it will make him think of home and that movie, The Red Violin, that was so fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> but that violin, it looks like a lady's naked back. <laughs> they it all seemed- look like a lady's naked back. <laughs> Violins only come in one shape. Naked back? Yeah. <laughs> Naked lady back. Well, right. <laughs> Otherwise, it would just sound terrible. Um, but she says it might be good for him to think of home. Uh, he says that she is the kindest person that he has ever met. And she's like, great, I'm leaving. And he's like, well, you were going to ask me something? And she's like, oh, quite forgotten. So she goes downstairs where Agnes is waiting on the stairs, uh, and she says that she just couldn't kick him out, and then Agnes says that she's glad she would want George to be taken in wherever he was if Mm. he needed a place to stay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the violin starts up, Agnes and Martel embrace on the stairs, and they ruin a very poignant moment by then panning (laughs) to a picture of George Towler looking like a right prat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, it's like in the picture... It's like he was staring straight, but then, like, I don't know, like, something, a noise <laughs> happened, and he had a, he looked. Anyway, ugh. Yeah, it's not a great picture. It's a terrible picture. And it spoils the mood. It really does. Yeah. Uh, Harry and Rose stand in front of Selfridge's, watching the lights going out for the first time in five years. 
Uh, and one little note that I liked in this is the window they're looking at here, we saw diagrammed on uh, Agnes's chalkboard earlier in the mm-hmm. episode. So I thought that was cool. But Rose says that uh, when the war is over, they'll just build the greatest display that London's ever seen. And Harry's like, yeah, to welcome our boys back. I hope it's soon. Spoiler alert. Because old time people didn't <laughs> know stuff. In Lady May's room, Lord Loxley creepily puts a necklace on May. Yeah. Uh, why is he in her room? Right. I just just to intimidate her, I guess, or like unless her dressing room is different from her bedroom. Well, that certainly. Anyway, either way, yeah, uh, he's in there creepily putting a necklace on her. Yeah, and then she, you know, says, "Oh, there's this card game, but I'm sure you're too busy for cards." And he says that he is very excited about the chance to give Harry Selfridge a trouncing. Right. Uh, and I'm like, listen, you're not the first guy whose dick's been inside Lady May <laughs> who thinks he's going to give Mr. Selfridge a trouncing. That's right. You're the second. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, pride goeth before losing a lot of money to Mr. <laughs> Selfridge at cards. So right. we'll see. We'll see how this ends. Although I'll say, too, uh, there was a several-year gap between seasons. There could have been a series of Lady May's boyfriends losing to Harry at cards. That's a good point, actually. We don't even know. Every few months. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this this series has way less of the extramarital affairs going on. Yeah. I would definitely trade an extramarital affair for the Agnes Fat Thomas ship. Well, yeah, agreed. Well, the other thing I'll say, too, and this is kind of actually what our cousin was getting into in her telegram, that I think one key difference, too, is that it's every episode isn't about Harry solving a problem. That's true. You know, and that's yeah. that's nice. Yeah. Things are allowed to breathe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. In Selfridge House, Miss Ellis models the new uniform to Rose, uh, and Harry comes in and he says it looks good and very smart and fit to purpose, so everybody's delighted with it. Miss Ellis thanks them. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> um, I just gotta go put a few more marbles in my mouth! <laughs> <laughs> and heads out. Oh, and uh, New Gordon comes past and says something about being excited for the rifle training. And Harry is like, oh, so you haven't told New Gordon that you'll be at the rifle training, eh? And Rose is like, yeah, I thought I would keep it a secret. Yeah, because secrets always work out so well for your family. Uh, You're really good at them. <laughs> right. Keep it up. <laughs> Keebler comes into Harry's office. He's been called in and Harry says, fashion ain't working. And uh, Keebler says that the dresses that he showed, Lady made it and suit her mood. Harry, I think, is far too angry. Again, I think he's blowing this out of proportion. Uh, but he, I think his criticism is well-founded, which is that he needed to bring out things to suit Lady May's mood. It's his job to read her mood and adjust accordingly. Right. Uh, and he's just so angry. Yeah. Well, what I'll say in this case is this is partly because this isn't the only incident. It is the fact that he's been clashing with Leclerc. Like, that okay. is a factor in it as well. I okay. think that that's, that's sort of built up to this. That would make a certain amount of sense. Yeah. I am a little baffled, though, by Keebler's tack here. Yeah. I mean, just all around, I think people are making bad decisions. Well, right. Because it's like, okay, Keebler, you weren't at the store when it first started, mm-hmm. but you've been there long enough to know how important Lady May 
has been and continues to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why would you continue to deliberately provoke Monsieur Leclerc right. when you know that he's got Harry's ear? Well, I mean, I think he is just, like, committed to the dresses that he likes. Like, he's just, you know, his goal is not... You know, his goal isn't to advance Selfridges. His goal is to sell the dresses that he wants to sell and that he thinks are beautiful and to, like, set fashion his own way. Yeah, but you got to get, you know, directives from corporate and adjust. Right. You got to deal with it, man. Well, and I mean, you know, he gets it and he's like, okay, I'll meet with Leclerc. Yeah. Obviously. Obviously, I lose this round. Keebler walks out uh, badly shaken when who should happen along but evil guy who we saw previously Right. Being seen by Keebler. Like, what? Uh, anyway, evil guy is wandering around in the, like, executive offices <laughs> of Selfridges because you can just go there. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Like, what do you have elevator girls for if not to be like, uh, maybe no, I'm not going to drop <laughs> them on the floor. Yeah. Like, loading bay, right? <laughs> right. You look like you have some business in the loading bay. Right. You're going to go steal something down there? Great. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've dealt with your kind before. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway. Keebler asks Evil Guy if he's looking for Monsieur Leclerc, and he says, you know, go up a floor. And But then he's like, oh, I'll pass along a message. And Evil Guy's like, I'm clearly evil. Don't fuck with me, brony. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, my God. Keebler, Keebler would be such a brony, but he would like somebody stupid like Pinkie Pie. <laughs> well. Is what I'm saying. That's That's fine. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so we see Monsieur Leclerc uh, talking to Evil Guy. Like, the camera's in the hallway looking through the partly open door as they talk. And he's like, you shouldn't have come here. I, I don't, you can't be seen here. Let me hold this door open while we have this conversation. Like, it's just bizarre. Uh, but anyway, Evil Guy says that he has something that wasn't for over the phone. It is uh, like a map or an address or something. And the rest it's is... It's a map and an address. Right. Because it's like, how big is London? <laughs> right. Well, you know. I honestly don't know. That's a legit-ass question. <laughs> Cousins, do you live in London? Are you there right now? If so, how big is it? <laughs> right. We're assuming pretty big. Yeah, like reasonably <laughs> large. As he says, the rest is up to Leclerc and heads out. Uh, Leclerc bolts out, grabs his hat and coat, past Keebler, who is standing in the hallway eavesdropping. Then cut to the street where Leclerc is walking, wearing the hat and coat he was carrying, followed immediately by Keebler, who has found his hat, coat, and scarf. Uh, he's able to just push his magic <laughs> bow tie and they appear. <laughs> He got that magic bow tie out of a tree trunk covered in fudge, okay? He knows what he's doing. No, I mean, fair enough. Pretty sharp scarf. So, yeah, so they look... Like, Keebler tails Leclerc for a while. It's just, like, hilariously bad. Right. On both parties... It's like if Inspector Clouseau was, like, real. (laughs) Right. And not funny. Right. (laughs) Uh... But he eventually sees Leclerc uh, go down some side street and knock on a door. Some housekeeper-looking woman talks to him for a few seconds, and Leclerc leaves. So Keebler goes up to the door, and the woman answers, like, what do you want? And you see him think for a second. He's like, oh, wait, I have no plausible story at all. So he's just like, uh, what did that guy want? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of brilliant in its stupidity. Yeah. Because it totally works. Yeah. Well, she's like, what business of yours? And he's like, uh, I think, you know... 
It's the king's business. Right. So he hands her some money. Right. <laughs> right. Which he we has... assume has a picture of the king on it. Yeah. And his money doesn't look all crazy. Yeah. Like the paper tissue money that we've been seeing. So yeah. this must be like common people money. Again, we weren't kidding, cousins. If you know what the deal is with this Crap. money. We keep forgetting <laughs> to look it up. Right. Yeah, we're really not kidding. Yeah. This is almost a guaranteed cousin of the week if you'll do the work. <laughs> uh, but yes, apparently Leclerc was asking for a woman who was no longer there having left recently. Where did she go, says Keebler. And the housekeeper says, well, maybe to Germany, since that's where he saw her last. Which, Monsieur Leclerc, I don't know, A, who this lady is, or B, why you're so bad at everything. Yeah, he's like, listen, stranger, I'm here on some shady business. Let me give you the details. (laughs) (laughs) No wonder that evil guy didn't, like, do it right away. He was like, this guy is such a moron. He'll probably just wait forever. (laughs) Keebler gets back to the score... Keebler gets back to the store and scampers into the elevator of awkwardness with Agnes, who, in order to make the elevator go, has to ask if everything's all right. And yeah. he says he believes Mr. Leclerc is up to something untoward and very, I mean, he looks really shaken, actually. Yeah. Uh, turns out he's a real patriot, uh, is Keebler. I guess so. And he asks where, you know, has Mr. Leclerc been for the last five years? And Agnes is like, ooh, yeah in america and he says uh you know maybe that's what he told you and he's like look you all see this guy who was your friend from before and all i see is a difficult irascible man who's hiding something and it's a very like sixth sense moment for the audience at home yeah because we've all been you know right blind to his i mean not completely right his his behavior has been escalating as a little passing thing yeah and we're like oh maybe he's crazy right it's like, wow, like, Keebler, that is a very convincing argument. Yeah. And we don't like you. No. But we, we gotta give him the point. Yeah, that's right. And, well, and it's just, it's well, weird he, though. Agnes does as well. I don't, um, I don't, I don't know. This seems more though like a love affair gone awry right. type situation because I don't think that he would be like spying for Germany. Right. That, that seems unlikely, but, I mean, I just literally don't have a theory. I don't no, I know mean, what it could be. You know, well played, eyeliner. Yeah. You win this round. <laughs> but we've got episode six queued up and ready to go. <laughs> That's right. We're excited. It's shooting time. Yeah! <laughs> <Our> country! <laughs> well, right. Uh, it's, it's British shooting time. Oh. So it's, oh. In-law country. I say. Jolly good shot. <laughs> Uh, New Gordon actually was not a jolly good shot. He says that it's harder than it looks. Uh, well, guess what, idiot? You haven't ever done anything in your life but work in a tea emporium. Right. Rose comes up behind him, uh, takes a rifle, aims downfield, nails a bullseye, and gallops off into the sunset. (laughs) Well, because she suddenly turned into a satyr. (laughs) She's like... There's a lot you don't know about me, New Gordon. First of all, I'm a satyr. Second of all, I'm a great shot. Yeah. I hate you. (laughs) Bet you didn't know that. (laughs) No, no, I knew that, mother. Um, I miss Beatrice. (laughs) I know. When is she? Come on. She's got to come back. I Look, I don't know, man. (sighs) We'll see. Uh but yeah, Rose, I mean, after all, she is American. Mm-hmm. 
and she did a lot of shooting back in Chicago. Have gun, will travel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Rose goes back and talks with Crab about how successful the whole thing is. And he said he's, yeah, they so many applicants that he's had to make it a rotation. Miss Ellis chimes in to thank them. Well, by the way, not keeping a rifle pointed downrange, like... Bad is, form, Peter. Right. They're supposed to give you those lessons before they give you the gun. Ah, they're like, oh, you're all from Selfridges. You know your way around a pistol. <laughs> oh, you're a woman. Well, you'll never be able to pull the trigger, so do what you will. <laughs> by God, Horace, they're not wearing corsets. <laughs> <laughs> New Gordon shot dead. Right. Film at 11. <laughs> so yeah, the uh, the artful porter says that if it wasn't for Rose, we'd never get you anything like this. And they're like, are you eating? <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, wait, the acting school thing. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, I love her performance. Oh, yeah. We she- should... Yeah. The artful porter is artful. Yeah, she you is. Know. She and she's very like, you know Gung ho. Yeah. Yeah. Uh back at Selfridge's, Crab enters Harry's office, uh beaming, saying that the rifle training was a great success. Yes. Harry says that he knows it's Mr. Crab's birthday, and then Mr. Crab, who I love so much that I literally drew hearts around his name <laughs> for the rest of this recap. <laughs> It's true. He just starts babbling about how time has crept up on him, and he understands that Mr. Selfridge is going to need new blood uh, at the store, and he's he's willing to step down, and it's been a pleasure to work with him all these years. Harry stops him, hands him a gift. Uh, it's a diamond-tipped pen. Yeah. Does that mean the nib is diamond? Because uh, then it just seems like it would scratch through all your paper. Right? <laughs> Maybe that's the point. uh anyway i mean i assume it's largely a ceremonial pen regardless it was an expensive pen yes uh and mr selfridge wishes him a happy birthday and mr crab says you know he's fully committed to the store you know he he'll do his best not to slow down and harry says that they wouldn't know what to do without him he'll have to go on managing things as long as harry does and Oh, yeah. We're getting a little verklempt here, kids. Yeah. It's really sweet because Mr. Crab says that as long as he has breath in his body, he will be there at the store doing his job. Yeah. And it is just, it is really nice it to is, see. It is very nice. Absolutely. Uh, Leclerc flags down Keebler down on the shop floor uh, and says that he will, they will meet in the morning to go over the new fashion plates, you know, very, uh, you know. Haughtily. Haughtily, Yes. Keebler says, oh, yes, of course, and he is a bit smug. It is his natural state, so. <laughs> yeah, we're really back at stasis here with Keebler. <laughs> yeah. Fat Thomas is in the foyer at Miss Martle's, and he says he never knew she was a big game hunter, because all through the foyer are mounted heads of various dead animals. Yes, possibly uh, killed in Switzerland. We don't We know. have no idea where they've come from. <laughs> Actually, some of them did look like like mountain goats. Yeah. Could have been in Switzerland. At any rate, uh, Agnes says it takes a bit of getting used to. I assume she means living in such a grand house yeah. with dead animal heads on the wall. Right. Uh, but she says it's nice to come back uh, at the end of the day, but she can't stop thinking about George. She says that Fat Thomas is lucky to have such a large family. And I'm like, is it that large? 
mostly it seems like Igor at this point. Everybody right. else is gone. Yeah. Like Gabriella is, you know, in Italy, mm-hmm. we assume. And uh, Yeah, what if he was just making what if he killed her? <laughs> <sighs> anyway. Right. Uh <laughs> So anyway, Fat Thomas asked to be shown around because Agnes is getting a bit upset because George is all of her family and she, right. yeah. you know, uh, you know, it's a vicious cycle. So. Yeah. yeah. At Delphine's, Harry accepts a club soda and welcomes Lord Loxley, who is arriving. Who is basically a Bond villain. <laughs> he really I is. I realize, I mean, it, this, this scene, scene in, in particular, particular yeah. yeah. I mean, he doesn't have any of those weird tells, you know? He doesn't have, like, a metal hand his, or, like, a weird eye. Well, his eyes are kind of weird. Oh, he just looks like he's wearing eyeliner. Wow, that's true. Like eyeliner. Oh, well, yeah. You guys, right? eyeliner's a Bond villain. <gasps> <laughs> have you ever seen him and Judy Dench in the same room? <gasps> <laughs> Uh, I haven't. I imagine that some people have, but <laughs> no, but have you ever seen him without the eyeliner? Maybe that's not makeup at all. He's got Maybelline syndrome. <laughs> that's right. He is born with it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we only planned part of that out in advance, right. people. Man, high five. Uh, he also shakes the hand of Lord Edgerton and asks if he could be useful to procurement and says that, you know, he could source supplies and whatnot. And he says that Lord Loxley will vouch for him. And Lord Loxley is like, uh, no. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, what a little bitch. Yeah. And he says, and Harry's like, oh, I, uh, you know, first of all, he's saying he understood that there was an opening coming up. And Lord Loxley's like, oh, it's already been filled with someone we know already. And Harry's like, uh, it seemed like you knew me when you asked me for those contracts. And it's like, I didn't ask you. You offered. Considering what a shrewd businessman <laughs> Mr. Selfridge is, although I guess he's not that shrewd. He's more of a forging ahead type guy. Yeah, that's But true. he's just terrible at this political game. Yeah. One, it's, it's this situation where he's like, you know, Harry knows that Loxley's lying, but it's like there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Because these are British lords. He can't. Yeah. He can't. Talk he can't down. call me to question. That's right. When you're a lord, you're a lord all the <laughs> way. From your first bribery to your last dying day. Um. Speaking of show tunes. <laughs> and when am I not? Right. Uh, Delphine welcomes <laughs> a surprise guest whose name is Bill Summertime, which I thought was Bill Sumter. Right. Uh, which, which is a name. Yeah, that's a real name. Summertime. <laughs> yeah. Summertime, summertime, sub, sub, summertime, summertime. <laughs> that song was actually about him. <laughs> <laughs> He's so vain. No, it's, uh, well, it instruct me, especially with him being introduced in the setting. He, I was like, do you know Nathan Detroit? Like, is that the situation here? <laughs> it is the oldest established permanent floating crap game in London. <laughs> that it is. Boom. <laughs> I gave you that one. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, but yes, they uh, they all ante up. And the dealer announces that this is no limit, everybody. So look out. Yeah. There may be a dramatic... They're all wearing fucking tails. <laughs> we know it's no limit. So if any of you are planning a dramatic showdown uh, in a displacement of your other personal resentments, definitely... This is the environment for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do like about a James Bond card game, though. Is like, you know... 
they're like, listen, leave your bullshit baggage and attitude <laughs> at the door because we don't need it. Like, even though, like, the dealer's in on it. Right. You know, the dealer always knows. But he's like, listen, I'm a professional. <laughs> I'm going to play the game. Right. Listen, guys, if you want to murder each other, you do it on the break. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all like, okay, fine. Yeah. Jeffrey Wright is there. It's all very classy. <laughs> I mean, that dealer's got a union. Like, you don't mess with... Yeah. Hell no. Not in Monte Carlo. <laughs> uh, anyway, Florian is playing his violin for Miss Martle, uh, who is just... Look... Delighted. We did not talk about the fact that apparently the entire nation <laughs> of, of Belgium... Right. Uh, is... Has a Martle fetish? Like, it's very weird. Right. Well, we've seen a grand total of two Belgians, and both of them have, like... Been gaga for Martle. Yeah. They love her. Yeah. Anyways, but he's just playing this in the background, and uh, Agnes is asking Fat Tyler about the restaurant, and he says there's a lot of debt with the restaurant. It needs an overhaul, uh, but she thinks he should do it anyway because she clearly knows nothing about money. <laughs> right. And then Fat Thomas asks her if there's anything between her and Monsieur Leclerc, and she says there's not anymore. Uh, then the song ends and there is applause. Right. I mean, it's just the three yeah. of them, but yeah. Um, yeah, when she's a bit taken aback by the question about Leclerc, and it's like, oh, wait, shit, there really isn't anymore. No, like, there was. Yeah. And apparently, well, you know, he's a man of the world. Like He banged Lady May for all those months. Yeah, like this bird has flown. What are you going to do? Uh, talking about Norwegian wood up in here, baby. <laughs> you know how to rev my engine. <laughs> that I do. Uh, so back at the poker scene, Lord Loxley bets a hundred pounds. <gasps> we can all pretty much imagine where this is going from here. Uh, Harry calls and then raises a hundred back. <gasps> totally not done. You can't say I call and then say I raise. You say I raise. Otherwise, it's like cheating. But anyway. You know, that's the first genuinely surprising thing you've said. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, I've, you know, I went through a poker phase. And you don't do that because otherwise you can say I call and kind of watch for a reaction before you decide whether you're going to raise or not. Oh, so you, so have, you have to raise and then call? Well, no. I mean, a raise implies implies a call. Okay. You know, a raise is, you know, you have to bet at least what the previous guy bet, but you can also bet more. So your options are fold, call, or raise. What? Why would you call? Uh, because you don't want to, you want to stay in the hand. You don't want to fold, but you also don't want to increase the amount of money ah. you're risking. So calling is the minimum amount of money you have to bet to stay in the hand. Okay, so if you call, then what happens? Uh, then that's the end and everybody shows their cards. Okay. Yeah, assuming well, assuming everybody calls, it's still in the hand. This is good to know in case I ever find myself in what I hope will be a very low stakes game <laughs> of poker. I hope that too. I'll be texting you like Speaking Tom. is the co-member of your joint checking account. <laughs> I have three clubs. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, me too. Uh, anyway, Loxley goes all in uh, for 375 pounds. Harry calls. Loxley has a straight, but Harry has a full house, which beats a straight, uh, and he wins. Whatever happened to predictability? <laughs> the milkman, the paper boy, and Lord Loxley. <laughs> He is predictable, isn't he? He is. And yeah. he misses his old familiar friends waiting <laughs> just around the bend. <laughs> uh, so Loxley is like, you know, makes a quick and rather ignominious exit. It's too bad he didn't have a cape. 
Honestly. <laughs> and like a top hat and suddenly sprout like a slightly whiplash mustache. Well, really, what he would have liked to have done is just smoke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also, Harry also like pushes him to say goodnight to Miss Day as well. And mm-hmm. he's like, thank you for a very lovely evening. I'm gonna go cry to my mommy now. <laughs> Probably not. I think he killed his mommy years ago. <laughs> That's disturbingly plausible a slow a slow death it was yeah uh bill summertime wishes harry good night summertime summertime some some summertime summertime you know i get royalties whenever you sing that god damn it that's <laughs> how i can afford to be in this high stakes poker game <laughs> agnes is walking out fat thomas uh uh we'd love to say that this ship is about to walk the plank it's but it's not they're it's, going full bore. It's sailing into the sunset. They're doing the full Jack Sparrow on this one. <laughs> That's right. I don't even know what that means. I I've don't. Seen I don't. Zero either. of those movies. <laughs> I but I assume it's a decision that everyone's going to regret. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he's decided after talking over with her, he's going to make a go of the restaurant, uh, and then she wants to know why he was asking her all those questions about Mister Leclerc because she's still not. She spent two years in Paris and she still <laughs> can't figure this out. <laughs> But uh, he says he wants to ask her out, and she does hilarious. to say, well, well, are she going to? Yeah. And then he says he can see the answer in her eyes. Uh, unfortunately, it is not fuck no. <laughs> right. Uh, they kiss, and she's happy, or whatever, we guess. Right. So, great. Yeah, they both seem happy now. Fine. Fart noise. <laughs> right. A resounding fart noise <laughs> to you, sir and madam. Uh, Florian is putting away the violin, and he tells Martle that she keeps a happy house. I really want her sweater. Uh, In case anybody... Cousins, (laughs) do you have Miss Martle's sweater? Can you make Miss Martle's sweater? (laughs) If so, I want you to send it to me. (laughs) Reasonable terms. Uh, So he takes Martle's hand and goes full Belgian on her, Mm -hmm. uh, thanking her for her hospitality. And Martle is flushed she sets a boundary yeah but she then uh she snaps to pats his hand in a very platonic way yeah so it's uh it's good to be belgian yeah i guess yeah well you know he's probably just going through ptsd man yeah also i think he's just being like this is he's just being continental yeah this is how we say goodbye in belgium (laughs) (laughs) it's not (laughs) Harry returns home to Selfridge House, and uh, Rose asks if they have to sell Selfridge House. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, he says he won, and she said it was a good day all around. Yeah. Uh, you know, because she got to get out some repentant aggression. Mm-hmm. Uh, they walk upstairs together, and he walks her to her room and kisses her, but she pulls him into her room and says she might be able to find a use for him in there. Yeah. So she, she's buckled, man. Yeah. She didn't have Delphine to keep her strong. Or she's got a heavy dresser that she needs moved. Well. <laughs> no, it's not that. Oh. <laughs> like, it's very clear. Yeah, they have servants for that, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, I mean, I just, they're both so, they're in such a good mood. They've both had such a good day. Yeah. That's like, uh, a, a great time for it. Yeah. So, we'll see yeah. what the fallout is here. Yeah. Maybe Beatrice will be summoned <laughs> by their coitus. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you couldn't hold out. <laughs> <laughs> It's old and a crone. Well, it's been five years. It's <laughs> true. She was older than Gordon, right? Right. So what is she, like 65? 
Uh, and finally, we see Bill Summertime. Summertime, summertime, <laughs> some, some, summertime, summertime, summertime. On the phone to Sky Masterson. And <laughs> <laughs> he says that he met Harry Selfridge and he thinks that he could be their man. Chunk, chunk. <laughs> right. We don't know what kind of man. Right. This could go. A fancy man. <laughs> A businessman. Like. Drug dealer? Like, I don't know. Yeah, well, he could drum up old Ellen Love. She had a line on the cocaine. That she did. So, God only knows what depraved hellhole she's in now. <laughs> yeah, true. And I would imagine Mustache still knows. I Like, he's, oh, you know. Oh, look, you don't... Newspaper men never burn bridges except for that one time that he pissed off the richest man in London. <laughs> so. Yeah, and Completely. then it destroyed his career. And now he's rebuilding it from scratch and won't make that mistake again. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. What an idiot. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so the lesson is, if you're a journalist, you don't have any real friends. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, also, your industry is dying. Well, uh, Dead. <laughs> it's it's done. Listen, they're they're sending me now free issues of Glamour. <laughs> I don't. They really, are. It's a thick magazine. Yeah, it's expensive to make, <laughs> and I am getting it because right. I scream Glamour. <laughs> At any rate, uh, join us again next week, cousins, where yeah. we will see if Keebler continues to scream Glamour or treason <laughs> in the general direction of Monsieur Leclerc. Uh, and uh, we'll see uh, where all this crazy business is leading us. That we will. We're at the halfway point of the season. Indeed. So, yeah. so until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs. downstairs. Luncheon out. <laughs> <laughs>